Heavenly Father, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in your sight. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. We've been in a series, a brief series, to start the new year out because uh, sometimes people make uh, resolutions to change themselves, to change their lives, to get better at things, and yada, yada, yada. And one of the, the uh, popular ones, I think, amongst churchy people and following Jesus people is to decide, doggone it, this is the year. This is the year I'm going to read through the Bible. And so I figured I'd take advantage of, of some of you feeling that way and talk about the scriptures. And if you didn't feel that way, to try to encourage you to feel that way. Um, and, and to give you uh, an overview, an idea of the scriptures a little bit. But also, and I'll just be super obvious here. My goal in this whole series is to get you to read your Bible. Um, to get you to pick it up, to read it. You might have noticed on the back of the bulletin, it has a, a, a reading schedule. And I'm faithfully every week updating this. Um, and you can jump in at any time and uh, follow along with that reading schedule. A few weeks ago, I showed a video from the Bible Project. And uh, they have a website, the Bible Project. You can find them on YouTube. You can find them through Google. And uh, they have reading plans, they have videos that give you an overview of what you're reading. Uh, Faith Life, you might have seen a slide, they have a reading app. There is no shortage of opportunities and plans to get you into the Bible. So my job's to guilt you to do it. Um, I'm just kidding about the guilt part. Um, I, although I am like a, a walking guiltometer. For some people, um, it's a really annoying, annoying part of my my calling out here. Um, people who haven't been to church in a while uh, run to the hills when they see me coming. Uh, so uh, it's kind of a bummer. So if you quit coming, don't run away from me at school, store. Um, I I enjoy talking to people and uh, will not bother you about coming back because people already feel bothered by me uh, without saying a word. So. That was all free. I had no intention of saying any of that. Today we're going to look at a passage of scripture in uh, 2 Peter. One of the things we're going to wrestle through is uh, the Bible and what is it and, and, and why bother? Why is it important to avail ourselves to reading of the scriptures? And really at the heart of this question is, is the question of, why do Christians believe the Bible to be authoritative? Now, I'm not going to spend a whole lot of time on that question because you'll see in a moment, it's kind of a circular argument being made. It's kind of hard to get out of a circular argument with saying the Bible is authoritative because the argument basically goes like this. Well, the Bible says it's authoritative, so we believe it's authoritative. See how the circle begins there and ends there? And there's, there's really not a lot you can do to argue for the Bible being authoritative. You can make arguments that it's historical, that what's in it is true, that the stuff that happened ha- as it was written in here happened as it was written in here. You can make those kind of arguments. And, and you can kind of say, well, because it's historical, you should put some credence in it. But the, the discussion of whether the Bible is authoritative or not is pretty much a circular discussion. So my goal isn't necessarily, if you're a new person here at our church and, 
and, and you're just thinking, I want to hear you give your best argument as to why I should believe this thing to be authoritative, you, you'll probably be disappointed. Because it's, I'm being really honest, it's a, it's a circular argument. What I really want to do is spend some time with those of us who say we follow Jesus, why we should see this as authoritative and why that's a good thing. Why we should see it as authoritative and why that's a good thing. And if you're not a follower of Jesus yet, or if you've got questions about the scriptures or whatever, this is a great opportunity for you to listen in on kind of a, an in-house discussion. You see, many people in our day and age, and I said this last week, are very skeptical about the Bible and what it has to say. If you watch any TV for any amount of time, if you watch any movies for any amount of time, if you read any popular level magazines, you will come across statements like, well, we all know that the New Testament is historically unreliable. Well, everybody knows that the first 11 chapters of Genesis are just kind of myths. And you'll hear these things, and it's like what uh, an old philosopher said. He said, um, a lie gets all the way around the world before the truth gets its pants on. And it's so difficult to, to answer those little zingers with an equally good zinger. It's, it's difficult to say, well, no, the New Testament is historically reliable, and here's a 140-character sentence to explain it, how it works. You just can't do it. And so if you're skeptical of these things, that's okay. In fact, can I be honest for just a moment? Thank you. There's parts I'm skeptical of sometimes. There's parts I find annoying sometimes. There's parts of the scripture that I find hard to wrap my brain around sometimes. There, there's parts of it that I don't like what it says. So this is nothing alarming. This is nothing new. If you spend any time reading the Bible, you will find something in you pushes back. There's going to be something in it that bothers you, something in it that irritates you, something in it that points a finger at you, maybe even pokes you in the eye. You will find, as it says elsewhere in the scriptures, the word of God is like a two-edged sword. I don't really like that translation, although it's probably what they had in mind, but I like to think of it as a scalpel. It's a scalpel and you don't have any anesthesia. So we're going to jump in and we're going to take some time just to talk about the authority of Scripture and why it's a good thing that it's authority. So in 2 Peter chapter 1, uh, verses 12 through 21, I think I'll just read them all together and then we'll spend some time unpacking it. Therefore, I intend always to remind you of these qualities. This is written by Peter, by the way, the disciple who always had his foot in his mouth in the Gospels. Though you know them and are established in the truth that you have, 
I think it right, as long as I am in this body, to stir you by way of reminder. Since I know that the putting off of my body will be soon, as our Lord Jesus Christ made clear to me. Am I in the right spot? Okay. I wasn't remembering that part. (laughs) And I will make every effort so that after my departure, you may be able at any time to recall these things. For we did not follow cleverly devised myths when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. We talked about that last week. For when he received honor and glory from God the Father, and the voice was borne to him by the majestic glory, this is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. We ourselves heard this very voice born from heaven, for we were with him on the holy mountain. And we have the prophetic word more fully confirmed to which you will do well to pay attention as to a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. Knowing this, first of all, that no prophecy of scripture comes from someone's own interpretation for no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. May God add his blessing to the reading of his word this morning. A couple things I hope jumped out at you as we read this passage. A few things I want to highlight as we think about this. Peter talks that there are a couple reasons to listen to the voice of God. If you were to read this whole epistle, this whole letter by Peter, you would find that he is reading He is writing, excuse me, uh, to folks who are in danger of listening to false teachers. He is writing to people who are hearing things that don't line up with the faith. And he is writing to encourage them. Don't listen to the false teachers. Listen to the words of God. Now, you couldn't agree more, I don't think, that uh, that's still the case today. It's still the case today that there are plenty of false teachers, false philosophies, terrible ways of doing life. A friend of mine used to call it stinking thinking. (laughs) There's all sorts of stinking thinking out there. Terrible things to base our lives, our decisions, our lifestyles upon. And so I think I'm in good company when I, if I were to join the Apostle Peter and say, I'm going to use everything I have while I'm in this body to remind you to listen to God. To listen to his word. And he goes on and he tells his folks, what is God's word? Because that would be a natural question, wouldn't it? Because sometimes when we hear, I need to hear from God, we have this mystical experience idea. We think we need to sit around and, and meditate and get quiet. And, and, and we think, okay, God, speak for your servant is listening. <laughs> if you're like me, your brain wanders. And sometimes indigestion strikes. <laughs> and if you hear anything, you hear weird things Sometimes. Maybe you start to hear doubts, or maybe you hear messages for your wife, 
or your children or your pastor. Maybe you hear things, but you don't seem to be hearing things from God. And sometimes it's compounded because we run into other Christians that seem to always hear from God. And for me, that's a little irritating because I'm not one of those Christians. I mean, don't get me wrong. I hear from God regularly, but it's not this mystical, Stephen, yes, Father? You know, it's nothing like that. It's that I read the Bible. And we're going to see that Peter says, this is the word of God we should listen to. So if you are craving, desiring some kind of spiritual experiences that that would satisfy your desire to hear from God. You're not looking in the right place. Now, don't hear me wrong. God still speaks. Another true confession. There's only been a handful of times in my life that I feel God has actually spoken to me outside of the word of God. Peter says that there are two main places that we hear from God. He says the eyewitnesses. The eyewitnesses. In our way of thinking, we would think that's the New Testament authors. Most of the New Testament authors were eyewitnesses to the risen Jesus Christ. Most of the New Testament authors knew Jesus personally. I mean, in the body, even Paul, even Paul describes these experiences of knowing Jesus personally in the flesh after he rose from the dead, seeing him, interacting with him, talking to him. It's what gave him his apostolic authority that he had seen the risen Christ. Another true confession. I have not seen the risen Jesus Christ. That's why I'm not an apostle. This was an experience. This was a special revelation that was given to the apostle Paul. And these special revelations are special because they don't happen generally. Do you understand that? If it happened generally, it wouldn't be special. It'd be general. And it's special revelation. It doesn't happen to everyone. It happened to the apostle Paul. That's why he's an apostle. And he was an eyewitness. And Peter is saying that if you listen to the eyewitnesses, if you read the eyewitnesses as from our perspective, if you read the New Testament, you are hearing the words of God. You are availing yourselves to God's word. Now, in our modern day and age, there's always something new. There's always something improved. And we're always rushing out to buy the new and the improved. And it seems that the old is therefore obsolete. In fact, there seems to be this planned obsolescence nowadays in our culture. My cell phone is a great example of this. My wife hates this because cell phones aren't cheap. They're expensive. And we buy phones that aren't contract phones. So we don't pay for it monthly. We pay for it up front. And my phone costs $250. And it's several years old now. 
And I keep telling my wife, someday this will die. The battery will fail to work and we'll have to buy a new one. And she's like, you just throw it away? I'm like, isn't it an amazing diabolical plan by the cell phone manufacturers? Because those old dialed cord phones that we used to have, you didn't run out and buy a new one every couple years. Those just stayed. You didn't upgrade. There was nothing to upgrade. Well, wait. You got a push-button phone eventually. (laughs) And Peter knows human nature that when we think there's something new, it means the old is past and it's obsolete. And Peter is expecting his readers to think, well, therefore, the new is the improved and it is the better and it's what we should listen to. And Peter says, yeah, that's one source, the eyewitnesses. But he says, do not neglect his word for it, a Jewish word for it, the prophets. Did you hear how he worded it? And we have the prophetic word more fully confirmed to which you will do well to pay attention. He's saying that the New Testament does not replace the Old Testament. In fact, he doesn't even add the same kind of force to the eyewitnesses. You'd pay, do well to pay attention. He adds that to the prophets. You would do well to pay attention to them. You would do well to pay attention to the Old Testament. Why? Because it's like a lamp shining in a dark place. Also, it was written by God. I mean, that's basically what he says. Knowing the first of all that no prophecy of Scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but man spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. See, Peter is saying that the word of God is authoritative because it is God's words to us. And Peter's not the only one that says this about the Old Testament. Jesus says this about the Old Testament as well. In Matthew 19, he's having an argument with some religious people. I know, scary, amazing, crazy to think that religious people would argue. But he's arguing with these religious Pharisees and Sadducees. And they're talking about marriage. And Jesus quotes Genesis chapter 2, that part of Genesis chapter 2, that if you've gone to any Christian marriage service, you've heard the minister say, and now the two will become one flesh. Where the minister says, the husband will cleave to his wife. He will leave his mother and father, and the two will become one flesh. And Jesus quotes Genesis chapter 2, and he's basically saying that was God's intention for marriage, but because of your hardness of heart, Moses gave you an out, gave you divorce. And it's interesting, because if you go back and you read Genesis chapter 2, you will find that that comment is an editorial comment in the text. It's not spoken by God. It's not even spoken by some human actor or character in the story. It is an editorial comment. It's from the author's perspective. 
And that's the part that Jesus quotes and attributes to God. You see, one thing that you find out when you read Jesus in his view of the Old Testament is you find out that Jesus did not believe in a red-letter edition of the Bible. Now, before you get all upset and everything else, I'm not saying red-letter editions of the Bible are bad, but I think a true letter edition of the Bible would have all the words in red because it's all God's words. Now, we have a tendency to create a canon within the canon. We have a tendency to go, well, Jesus said it, and therefore it counts more than what Paul said or Peter said or Amos the prophet said or Jonah the prophet said or Moses said. And if you believe that, if you think that, then you do not think of the Bible the same way Jesus did. You see, the reason the Bible is authoritative is because Jesus believed the Bible to be authoritative. When you watch Jesus throughout his life, it is the core operating mode for him to meditate, to think about the scriptures. In his temptation in Matthew 4, when, the, when Satan comes to him and he tempts him, Jesus every single time responds by saying, and by the way, some of you, would be well served to do the same. He responds by saying, it is written. Now, where is it written? Every single time he's quoting. And do you know what book he's quoting? I mean, it's not even an exciting one. It's one of the boring ones. It's one of the ones that we stop reading the Bible in. But it's the book that Jesus had in mind during his temptations. It's the book that Jesus had memorized, not because he was God in the flesh, but because he was a good Jewish boy. He had this memorized and he spit back at Satan and said, it is written. Deuteronomy says this. Deuteronomy what? That's the boring parts. That's the weird parts. That's not applicable to my life. Well, Jesus thought it was applicable to his life. And if the son of God saw the Deuteronomy was helpful, no, was more than helpful, was the power of God to withstand temptation in his life. Wouldn't we be wise to do the same? Wouldn't we be wise To follow Christ? After all, isn't that what we say we're doing? Is following Christ? You see, if we follow Christ, and I'm not going to take a poll right now, but if I were to ask you, raise your hand if you follow Christ, one of the things we must believe is that the Bible, the Old and New Testament, are authoritative. They are God's words to us. And the reason we have to believe this is because Jesus believed this. I've run into some Christians before who say, well, I don't take the Bible literally. I love Jesus. I follow Jesus, but I don't take the Bible literally. And I don't usually give them any leeway. I'm usually kind of, I push back. Now, just so for the record, I don't take the Bible literally, meaning there's parts of the scripture that aren't meant to be taken literally. You know that song of Psalms? Your neck is like the Tower of David. 
You know, he's talking about his wife and he's, he's trying to woo her. You know, it's, it's just weird language. And if you take that literally, you're weird. Because <laughs> it's poetry. You see, part of taking the Bible literally is understanding the genres the different styles, the different types of writing that are in the Bible. And you need to know that and be aware of it. Sometimes you're reading history and story and narrative. Sometimes you're reading poetry. So like when the psalmist says, God, just kill me now. It's not like, okay, God took it literally. It's that the guy's going, my life is horrible. You you ever used hyperbole in your life? Maybe later today as the Broncos are playing and you're like, I just want to kill that ref. (laughs) Should I take you literally? Some of you, maybe. (laughs) But most of us, I mean, if we met the guy in the street, we probably wouldn't kill him. We'd just have an earful for him. And most of us maybe just wouldn't even bother. And the scriptures, this is how literature works. There's all sorts of different genres and there's all sorts of different things going on. But when a Christian, somebody who says, I follow Jesus, says, I don't take the Bible literally, you know what they're actually saying? There's part of it I don't like. There's parts of it I don't like. And those parts, I blow off. Because I don't take it literally. You see, I think it's outdated. It was written a long time ago and that doesn't apply to us anymore. They're just wrong about that because they're a bunch of old ancient people who didn't get life the way we get life. It was written for before electricity, for goodness sakes. I mean, what do these people know? We have a tendency, even followers of Jesus, to pick and choose the pieces that we like and to follow those. But it is God's word to us. It is authoritative. And if you say you follow Jesus, you need to see the scriptures the same way he did. Right when he was being betrayed. Right when he was being betrayed by Judas. And Peter grabs his sword and strikes the ear off. Now, if he was trying to do this on purpose, that's pretty cool. I think he just missed the guy's head and got his ear glanced off of him a little bit. Jesus said, put the sword away. And then he quotes some of the Old Testament to him. He says, those who live by the sword shall die by the sword. Even at that moment in Jesus' life, he is thinking about the scriptures. Everything going on in his life was about God's words. That was his orientating principle in this life. And if you follow Jesus, it should be the same of you. The scriptures should be what you orient your life around. The scriptures should be what you meditate upon. The scriptures should be what you turn to for wisdom and guidance. The scriptures should be what you turn to for comfort. The scriptures. Follow Christ in this. Basically, Jesus just sees everything in the scriptures as being God's words to us. And if he saw it that way, we should see it that way. And do you see the circle of reasoning there? That's why if you are skeptical about the scriptures, it's hard to convince you that they are the words of God. But if you read it, if you start to live it, 
if you start to experience it, if it starts to transform you and change you, you too shall start to enter into the club. I'd encourage you to at least have the guts to read it if you're skeptical. And finally, I just want to spend a little bit of time on why is it a good thing that the Bible is authoritative? I mean, we all live in this day and age where we want to be our own authority. We want to be the ultimate authority. We want to be the one that decides what's best and right for us, for our country, for our church, for our town, uh, for our business, for our employees. We all have this in us. We want to be the deciding factor in our lives. We want to be the one, and nobody's going to tell me what to do. And quite honestly, can I be briefly blunt with you? Real America is really bent this way. Because when you grow up in the suburbs, a lot of folks tell you what you're going to do and how you're going to do it. When you work for bosses you don't like in the suburbs... And you get a new job, guess what? You probably don't like that new boss. And you just figure out a way to, to work with people. In rural America, a lot of times you're your own boss. You call the shots. If you don't want to do business with them, you don't do business with them. If you want to do business with them, you do business with them. And sometimes there's this rugged independence that cuts against the grain of Scripture and biblical community. And it cuts against the grain of authority in our lives. And I want you to hear that the word of God being authoritative is a good thing. Let me try to give you an analogy real quick that that hopefully will settle this in your brain. I want you to conjure up in your mind to think about, and if you're not this old yet, I want you to think about yourself when you like your baby pictures or something. Some of you are are pretty young. But think about your 13-year-old self. I can see a little bit of smiles on some people's faces. You know, that 13-year-old self that you're, you're thankful that not many people have seen your middle school year pictures. <laughs> now, some of you grew up in this town. We all know what you looked like back then, but um, some of us, you don't have to worry about that. Think about your 13-year-old self. And now fast forward to your 23-year-old self. Uh, for a frame of reference, think about your, your high school uh, yearbook picture. Now, did your high school yearbook picture look back at your 13-year-old self and go, man, that kid was an idiot. That kid didn't know much. That kid made some bad decisions. I mean, look at the hairdo. Look at the clothes. Can't believe I was listening to that music still. Can't believe I, 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 I thought those things. Now take your 20-year-old self and go to your 30-year-old self. And think about your 20-year-old self from the perspective of your 30-year-old self. And some of you will be thinking from your 30-year-old self, my goodness, I couldn't believe how young I was when I got married. <laughs> what was I thinking? If I knew what I knew, if I knew then what I know now. I mean, what a foolish choice that kid was making back then. I mean, it's working out and everything, but gee whiz, that was crazy. Now take your 30-year-old self and think from your 40-year-old self's perspective. And my guess is 
that if we lived long enough, that if we lived to be 130, we would still look back at our 80-year-old self and go, what a fool. Can't believe the things they thought. Can't believe the, the things that they fought against, the things that they thought were true or valid, but they weren't. They were just foolish notions. And here's the reality, that if you see yourself as the ultimate authority in your life, every single point of your life, from a later perspective, you look back and you see a fool. And you will always look back and you will see a fool in some area of life. And if you decide that you are the authority, that you're the deciding factor, that you are the one that is going to make the choices and make the decisions, just wait 10 years. Just wait five years and look back. And my guess is, it's like those commercials. Have you seen that commercial of the gal? Um, I can't remember exactly the, the, the product, but she finds out that she's been eating the wrong yogurt. And then she thinks, what other poor decisions have I been making? And then there's this montage showing all these stupid choices she was making throughout her life and didn't even know it. And the only thing that gives you that perspective is time, is experience, is maturity. And another thing that can give you that perspective much quicker and without, less, without as much pain is if you find an external authority. If you find something in your life that you say, this is my authority and I will base my decisions upon what this says. You see, ultimately, that's what we're all doing. Even if we say we are our own authority, we're still making our decisions based on our peer group, based on Google and some search we, we did, based on Wikipedia, popular human knowledge, based on some latest, greatest scientific report, based on the doctor's advice, based on what our friends thought, based on what Oprah said. Every single decision we make is being influenced by something. You are never the ultimate authority in your life. And if you are, wait 10 years and you'll see a fool that was in charge of your life. You see, it's a good thing that this is authoritative. It's a good thing that God gave us his insight into how to live life. I have a couple of cars in my possession. And my cars came with this thing called an owner's manual. And the owner's manual was written by the manufacturer. And I sometimes have ignored what the manufacturer said to do. My Buick has 160-some thousand miles on it. Nobody's ever touched the transmission oil in it. I've been told that's bad. There's a light that flashes. Change your oil. It's been flashing for several thousand miles now. I'm trying to blow my car up. But one of the consequences of me trying to blow my car up is I don't drive it out of town because I know better. 
because I know my car won't get me far out of town. Every time I stop my car, I can smell antifreeze burning. I've been told that's bad. (laughs) Why don't I fix my car? Because I don't like my car. I want a new car. I don't want to spend $800 to make this car go further. I want to blow it up. I've been trying now for two years to blow up my car. I'm going to take bets at the end of service as to how many years you think my car will last as I continue to neglect what the owner's manual says the owner should do from the manufacturer's perspective. If you know anything about cars, you know I'm on borrowed time. You know it's a matter of time. You know eventually there will just be a bunch of gunk in that engine and it will fail to start or it will be running and do something crazy. And that's what I'm hoping for. The analogy is a little wooden. It's not exactly correct. But all of us are comfortable with authority in our lives. We really are. There's always authority. There's always something speaking into our lives, whether it's Ford or GM or somebody saying, do this to your car. And we're like, okay, I'll do that. I like this car. I want it to run. And in my case, no. GM, you don't know what you're talking about. I don't like this car. We all have authority in our lives. We need authority in our lives. And it's a good thing when there's authority in our lives. And if you want to live the next five, ten years and not look back and see a fool. If you want to look back and go. Yeah, I was kind of foolish, but not as foolish as I was when I was 30. Not as foolish as when I was 20. It's because I started reading this. More than that, I started believing this. More than that, I started doing what this said to do. You see, I've read the owner's manual and I failed to do it. I believe it's true. And I still failed to do it. Will you believe this is true? Will you read it? Will you do what it says? And if you do, here's a promise. With this, we'll close. You will find things in here to follow that you won't like. Guaranteed. You will find things in here that you will find hard to do. You won't like it. You'll ask questions. You'll kick You'll scream. You'll argue. God, this is dumb. Because you're foolish. My kids say that to me all the time. Not that I'm foolish. Well, they say that too. (laughs) But they kick against my authority. And you know what I'm counting on? I'm counting on Mark Twain and his quote being true. He said this, when I was 14 years old, my dad was the dumbest man I knew. And I wanted to be far away from him, didn't want to be seen in public with him. But when I was 21, 
I was amazed at how wise that man was and how much he had learned in seven years' time. (laughs) It's what I'm hoping for. You can accelerate your wisdom, your growth, if you will submit yourself to this authority. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, thank you that you care so much for us that you gave us your words that you gave us the Old and New Testament, that you gave us words of encouragement, words of exhortation, words of correction, words of rebuke. Thank you that you gave us words of lament for those times that we're down in the dumps and we don't know what to think or feel or say. Thank you that you gave us just obnoxiously joyful psalms that scream out, joy and excitement and celebration in your presence and thank you that you told us stories of a bunch of folks who were slow to get it but when they did when they got you when they were changed by you it just grabbed hold of them and did not leave them and father thank you that we can too can be part of this story that the word of god is authority in our lives Holy Spirit, make it so. Now may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord turn his face towards you and give you peace. May you take up and read the word of God. Believe it and do what it says because it is an authority in your life. Amen.